You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning once again. And I invite you to take your scripture, your copy of God's Word, open up to Romans chapter 10 this morning. Romans chapter 10, and I need to apologize. I've got a picture, but it's not in there, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, unless I forgot about it. Malachi drew us a picture, and I've got, it, I've got it on my phone, Malachi, and it didn't make it into the computer, but you can see it on your way out if you head out these doors or look. Um, great picture of last week and really Romans 10, 4, that Malachi drew there was this Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for to everyone who believes. So that's where we were last week. So sorry about that, Malachi. You can see it in the, in the, the front entrance there. But as you come to Romans 10, let's start. We're going to start again in, in verse 1. We, kinda, we, we looked at this last week through verse 4, but just con- contextually, we're going to read that, and then I'm going to read through verse uh, 13. So cover a, a good bit, relatively speaking, a good bit of ground today here. So um, let's listen to God's Word. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's ask the Lord's blessing again. Lord, we do come to Your Word right now and want to just seek You. You are majestic in holiness, in worth, in beauty. You are eternal. Lord, you call men to fear you, to fear this God, and yet man in sin does not fear you. Lord, may we hear in these passages, in these few verses uh, that we'll study today and look at today, would you just exalt your name through what we study here as well. Guide us, Lord, to understand what's before us and what we don't understand, Lord, to entrust to you and say, Lord, we'll, we'll trust you for 
for greater times of understanding, but Lord, what you reveal and what you've already shown, may we, may we anchor our lives to your truth and your truth really in Christ. So lead us to Christ today. Show us uh, Christ once again as we study. We pray in your name. Amen. I am obviously no eye doctor, an optometrist, uh, but there is such a thing as being nearsighted or farsighted. And just to prove how much I'm not an eye doctor, I had to look up what is nearsighted and what is farsighted. Some of you know this and you get it like that. Certain words for me, I'm just like, so is nearsighted mean you can or which? And I get it, I always get it confused. So I'm going to even read my notes. So nearsighted means the things that are near are clear. And the things far away, not so clear. Farsighted means you can see far away, but seeing what is near is not so good. So there's these conditions, and maybe you that are this, or you've got glasses, you've you figured out what you, what you are. You don't need to look up definitions like me. But like a good eye doctor or optometrist, God's Word comes to us today to help correct our vision and our lenses, if you will, And our vision really concerning righteousness and salvation and how we see these things. And the call here is to see what is really so near, to see what is near. The gospel, as revealed in the scriptures, it's not not far away. Now certainly sinners who are enslaved to unrighteousness, they don't see God, they are far away, spiritually uh, speaking, and God God must call in His mercy. We've seen that in Romans, in Romans 9. He must call them. But as we get into verse uh, 5 here and what follows, the, the message of a righteousness that is by faith, it's not some far-off message. It's one message that's actually quite near, even to the Jew who had the, the law. And so Paul's going to take us. Maybe you saw as I read, as we read through this, and, and we've been seeing almost weekly just a deluge of Old Testament text. Here's a text. Here's a text. Here's another one from the Old Testament. You see Paul over and over going back to draw from the Old Testament. To draw, I would say, what is so near. And so we want to come into the exam room, if you will, put some lenses on through God's Word to help us see clearly that faith in Christ has really always been near in the sense of its, its revelation here. So look at verse 5 as we work through this passage where Paul says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So Paul is quoting from Moses here, and in particular, how do we know who wrote Leviticus? That's where this is from. Paul says, Moses writes about this, and Paul's quoting from Leviticus. Chapter 18, verse 5. Many of these you can write down. I mean, if you want, you can look back and forth. We'll look at one as we, as we come through here. This one, not so much. But it comes from Leviticus 18, verse 5. And, and there's, let me, let me read what it says there, where God speaks through Moses. I'll read two verses, actually. It says, you shall follow, so God says this through Moses, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. Now, if you've just read through Leviticus, you're familiar with those phrases. I am the Lord your God. Verse 5, here coming up to where where, uh, we've got Paul quoting Moses. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. 
If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now, my study Bible makes this note about in Leviticus in this area. It says, when the Old Testament stresses doing, it always sees this as the right response to God's grace. So typically, the people of God, they live in light of God's grace. But I think Paul here, he sees the principle here in this passage, just bringing it up from Leviticus 18, sees in here this principle of how far from God one gets by a righteousness, a righteousness that doesn't rely on God by faith, but a right, righteousness that relies on law-keeping, on doing. And so the, the law, in fact, is good. We see that Romans chapter 7 Paul says that. But the law in and of itself can never bring about righteousness. And Paul's correcting that here. If we go back further to really God's initial covenant with man, the first man, Adam, Adam and Eve, it did involve a certain doing, or in their case, a not doing. It's been called, uh, some theologians call it the covenant of works. In essence, do this or don't do this and live. So we see Genesis 3, Adam didn't obey, and he did. He and his wife Eve ate from that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they disobeyed. God said, don't do this. They did it. They disobeyed. One, one, we look at it, one command. I saw someplace, though, that really in their disobedience, they really violated all ten of the commandments. Uh, you could look that up and, and search that out a little bit. I think that's interesting. But Adam failed to do. And so what came? What came is death. And so death spread to all men. We saw that in Romans, Romans 5. Now fast forward from Adam. We come through uh, Adam, Noah, Abraham, all the way now to Moses and where we're working off of Leviticus 18 so God gives the law at Mount Sinai. Now the people have come out, come out of Egypt. They were in bondage. They've come out years and years later. And is Moses here now? Is God in this? Is he offering now a way for man to live and thus attain righteousness? After all this, as after Adam has sinned, is now in God giving the law, is now this a way? And God says, you know, you can, if you do this, you'll live. You'll, you'll be righteous. The short answer is no. The, what, what's helpful is to think of when the law was given. It was given after God had delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. And so we see often, I think this notes with what the, the study Bible here is noting, there's deliverance, there's grace, and then there's God giving. There's how to live in light of that grace. There's an article from Ligonier Ministries, and it describes how Calvin saw the law. There's actually many ways to look at the law, and I think Scripture brings us out. We're going to focus on one of them, but there's actually, um, Calvin saw the law kind of a threefold manner. You'll, you'll understand as I, as I look at this with you. What about this law? Number one, the law served to restrain evil in that it governed people's behavior. It's kind of like a stop sign. It just it governs, it restrains evil behavior. That's one use that Calvin saw of the law. Number two, it's a guide to the good works believers in Christ are to do. God created, remember, 
by grace you're saved through faith, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So it's a guide for those. What does God call us to? Jesus calls his disciples, do all that I've commanded. So it's useful in that way as a guide for how to live for the Lord. But number three, it is also a mirror. And I think that's just a helpful picture of what the law is as a mirror. It says, a mirror reflecting to us both the perfect righteousness of God and our own sinfulness and shortcomings to give, as Romans 3.20 says, to give knowledge of sin. So yes, God gave a law to a people coming out of slavery, but he also he gave pictures of grace even within that law. You think of the sacrificial system. For they were, they are, there are people who are not righteous. They're, they're unrighteous. And in fact, even in Deuteronomy, God makes clear he didn't choose Israel for their righteousness. That's not why he chose them. God was at work in other ways. So, what is verse 5 saying? Well, the law is good, but pursuing righteousness based upon doing the law is far away, really, from one's ability to do it or God's gracious plan in Christ. In fact, Paul's going to say this in Galatians. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. It looked like there was life. I can do for a moment, and then there's failure. Then what do we read? There's cursing. You don't do them. Galatians uh, 3, moving on, verses 21 through 22, Paul says, If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Think of the mirror there, maybe. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Jesus became, he became what? Both the curse of the law in our place and the only one who perfectly obeyed and fulfilled or is the end of the law as we saw in Romans 10 verse 4. So to miss Christ and to establish a righteousness based on the law that is, in fact, missing Christ. So the righteousness based on the law says, do these things and live. Then Paul transitions in verse 6 to a righteousness based on faith. And that righteousness based on faith, or that faith type of righteousness, it says something too. First, it, we're going to look at what it does not say, and then what it does say in verse 8. So look at verses 6 and 7. Paul says here, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. Now, let me just say, this is a challenging section to understand. If you're reading this and going, uh, okay, okay, it says this, but it says don't say this, and it can get really kind of hard to understand, and maybe you're scratching your head a bit. Uh, so was I, so am I a bit, but I want to present at least at least an aim towards what's going on in this section here. And regardless of whether you come away or we come away saying, man, I understand that perfectly. Thank you, Peter, who says there's things that are hard to understand in Paul. 
Let us not look at God's Word and say, you know, throw our hands up and go, there's just the Word of God again. We need to honor. God has written this. And maybe right now, it's harder, a little harder as we grow in our faith, we grow in maturity, we read these things, we study these things, we see more and more. Let me just encourage you, at, in any place where you come across hard passages, by faith, trust the Lord for what, what we can understand here, what He's given. Okay, that being said... Verses 6 through 7, they tell us what the, the faith kind of righteousness, okay? it's, a, it's a kind of righteousness that's by faith, or a faith kind of righteousness says. And so Paul quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 30. I do want you to go there. We'll look at one place, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Maybe you can keep your place in Romans 10. We'll be back there not too long of a time. Romans chapter 30, in particular verse 11 through 14. I just want you to, I want to show you where this comes from. Paul's pulling back again out of the Old Testament, out of Deuteronomy. Forty years separate us now. As if he was using Leviticus in verse 5, I think 40, that written Mount Sinai, Deuteronomy written, I think, 40 years later as, as they come into or get ready to come into the promised land, the people of Israel. And so Moses, Moses gives this law again before they do this. And let's read it here. Verse 11, it says, and you'll hear the familiarity of Romans 10. For this command that I command, or for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. The word here is near. It's not far. You almost hear the Sesame Street, near, far. You hear that in there a lot. It's near. And we're going to look at that in verse 8 in Romans 10. But at first glance of this passage, If you just look at it, it seems Paul's led us to just another passage of works. I mean, he even says, you know, you can do it. It's it's so near, you can do it. But if you read ahead and you know things about Israel, they would in fact not do it. They would not obey. They would not do. Before they ever even crossed into the the promised land, God tells Moses, this people is going to forsake me and they're going to break my covenant. They will do evil. Moses even writes a song. It's not like a great ballad of encouragement. It's a song as a witness against the people of Israel. If you read on further from Deuteronomy 30 in the following chapters. Earlier, even in in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 9, we read God's not providing the promised land because they earned it via righteousness. So as we've seen this, and now looking back at Romans 10 and our passage here, do not stay in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, bring Christ down, who's going to go into the abyss, bring Christ up from the dead. What is Paul up to here? Might be tempting. I don't think Paul is trying to reinterpret, kind of to spin Deuteronomy in a certain way. Like it used to mean this, and now it means this. Many would point out here that the phrase to bring Christ down refers to Christ's incarnation, Christmas. When we celebrate God becoming flesh, the idea behind bringing Christ down. And then this bringing Christ up, we think of the other 
almost, par- you know, holiday. There's Christmas and there's, there's Easter, the resurrection. Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul, I think, is saying the righteousness that's by faith, it has come in Christ, by faith in Christ. And this is the one who fulfilled all the law and the commands. He's already come near. And so if Jesus can say that Abraham, if Jesus says this of Abraham, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Abraham, before Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all that, he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then surely those also see Christ's day who are of the faith of Abraham that came well before the giving of the law. But those looking to righteousness based on the law, a doing and then I'll live, that idea, they fail to see the nearness of Jesus who fulfills the law and prophets. Now, what I just said may not answer your questions and your head might still spin a bit. It's challenging. If it helps, John Murray has written, he sees these as kind of taunts of unbelief, kind of taunts of of disbelief here. Who will ascend into heaven? Who will descend into the abyss? Not, not really believing. And so this, this, the one who will, who will ascend, who will descend, it misses the one who did come, who was incarnate, and who was raised from the dead. And we're going to see that just as Paul brings up Christ again and again as we look at faith, confession in the heart, those ideas. Well, positively, Paul writes this in verse 8. But what? Does it say? It says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Again, there's this tie back to Deuteronomy 30. So the word is not in some far off place, but now this word is near in the mouth and heart. Again, my study Bible notes back in Deuteronomy 30 that Paul quotes from these verses those Deuteronomy 30 verses we looked at, to show that the, the Jews already had the message of faith through the Scriptures. So the one to whom all the law and prophets point to, that one has come near. It's this word of faith. I take that to be the gospel here, a way of saying the gospel that Paul proclaims. It's a word of faith in the old, hazy in places, not shadows, Sacrifice, that sort of thing, made reality seen in Christ in the new. And faith looks towards the promise. Works obscure it, and a pursuit of the law as righteousness really stumbles over the rock who is Christ. Look then in verses 9 through 10. Because, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The faith of verse 9 counters the questions of unbelief in verses 6 through 7. Faith confesses Jesus is Lord. Sees Jesus. Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. He's worthy of honor. And our He's worthy of our submission to Him. He is Lord. We don't make Him that. He is. We acknowledge that. We submit. We, we bow. 
And the heart believes that God raised him from the dead, that, that God raised this risen Savior who fulfilled all of the law. Years ago, I heard someone take this instruction here, the confess with your mouth, believe on your heart, and used it in sort of kind of a mechanical way. Maybe perhaps this is how maybe you've looked at it or somebody said, you, you, you must make sure you, make sure you confess this way with your mouth and make sure you believe in your heart and get this just right. And is, is there kind of, is Paul just giving us kind of a one-two method here to be saved? You know, say this, then the, the, make sure then you are. A couple, couple thoughts on this. The, the simple answer, the simplest one is, if this is a mechanical, if there's a rote way, what does this become? Just another work. Do this, confess, believe, do this, and, and you'll be saved. Kind of a just, no real faith, no real acknowledgement. Jesus is, he is Lord. He's risen from the dead. This is my salvation. It's just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So simply, Paul's, I don't, Paul's, not giving us a new sort of works righteousness here. He's against that. He's given us faith. If we read further, which we will, in verses 11 through 13, they seem to indicate there's, there's various aspects. There's, there's belief or, or there's calling on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. There's these sorts of different aspects of this. Yes, there's confession, there's belief, calling, words like that. Various ways to, to explain it. Number three, I think, yes, both heart and mouth, they do believe and confess. That's what we're told here. I think there's something to be said when you look up confessing. It's really just the, the word is like um, same speaking. It's to speak the same way. It acknowledges both confession of sin. God says, I have sin. I am a sinner. I confess. I speak the same thing. I am a sinner. And Jesus is Lord. I don't make him that. He is. I speak the same thing. You are the Lord. And so he acknowledges the Lordship of Christ. But out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus says the mouth speaks. And so salvation or faith in a genuine believer, it, it's not really this or that. It's, it's all of this. It's all of it together. It's, it's faith in Christ. Leon Morris writes this. He says, We should not think of faith as leading to righteousness and confession as a different act that leads to salvation. Excuse me. He says these are but two parts of the same saving experience. So inside and out, the man of confession and belief has come to a righteousness that's by faith. And this is the one putting all their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a confession that saves, a belief that justifies. It's not one step you're half saved, another. It's just part, this is is what salvation is. The heart speaks out of the mouth. It's really the rebirth, isn't it? It's being born again. To love Jesus, your Lord, my Savior, my, my hope of righteousness is Christ. Okay, so we get to verses 11 through 13 then. Let me just read verse 11. Two more references to the Old Testament. For the Scripture says in verse 11, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. We saw this last week in verse 33 of chapter 9. It's coming out of Isaiah 28, 16. If you need to write that down. 
the one who believes, in fact, what does it say? Everyone who believes will not be put to shame. Before the fall, you can read in Genesis 2, Adam and Eve, they were naked and they were, remember, not ashamed. And immediately after eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, doing wrong, sinning, their eyes were opened, they knew their nakedness, and they sewed fig leaves to cover up. And it implies they knew their shame. But righteousness by faith, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, carries with it a promise that the believer will not be put to shame. Not because of our inherent righteousness, though God does, He gives us a spirit, and it's a spirit of holiness to lead us into sanctification, to grow in Him. But it's because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ that imputed to us His righteousness. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And you can hear the same themes now as we're looking at 10 and back to Romans 1. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And how does verse 17 go? It says this, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Those who believe, everyone who believes in who? Who's the Him? In Christ Jesus our Lord will not be put to shame. All right, verses 12 and 13 then. Go a little further. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see the everyone? You've got it in verse 11. What do you mean everyone? Who's, who's all? Who's everyone? It's explained in verse 12. It's the Jew and the Greek. It's a familiar theme of Paul in his letter. There's no distinction. Whether you're of Jewish ethnicity, you're Greek, whatever, this same Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, He's Lord of all who believe, all who have faith. And we might have read over it, and I did read over it even, even quickly, but I want us to stop briefly and just think on what Paul mentions here in terms of riches. It's at the end of verse 12, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. I just stop and think on those. What are these? I think based on verse 13, they're the riches of salvation. His riches on all who call on Him, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think there's a salvation riches. The riches of what? Just a reminder because we forget. Forgiveness. Reconciliation, riches of hope. We have a hope. We don't. We're not in shame, and we just we're just hopeless. Why do we come? Why can we sing on the darkest days? Sing songs of hope because we have hope in Christ. There's eternal life, and there's knowing God. In fact, Ephesians chapter one verse two we read, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ." with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
That's what the believer in Christ, those riches. We in Christ are chosen and loved and adopted and blessed, not cursed, no longer under the curse. Why? It's been taken. Christ took the curse on Himself. We've been redeemed and we've been united to Christ with an inheritance of infinite worth. Not so that we might spend eternity going, what worth am I? But who is this God? What a glorious God who has saved me to the praise of His glorious grace. Consider and contemplate the riches. You may not feel very rich today in terms of the world. Consider the riches you have in Christ. I am amongst billionaires. Not monetary. In Christ, riches, eternity, all to the praise of God's glory. Gold and silver of this world, whatever, doesn't come near, close. Well, lastly, verse 13 is really a quote, and if you're writing down where, <laughs> where he's from, this is from Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Again, it reads, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I, does not this calling here, I think, help give us a mental image? What does it look like? What's an illustration of what faith is? What does faith look like? Certainly, faith is knowing something. We've got to know the object of one's faith. What are you trusting in? It's not a, it's not a blind, I think, was that in Sunday school somewhere, the blind faith. But this is beyond just knowing intellectually. It's calling. And calling where? Calling upon a name and the only name. So confession or belief or calling, they're responses of one who sees that living a life of perfect righteousness is impossible, but God. God makes the impossible possible through the hope of all of Scripture, through the hope of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this morning about your vision regarding these things. How do you see these things? To what, or really to whom, are you looking for righteousness that leads to eternal life? It's been said somewhere, I don't remember where, maybe it's just used often. You know, you're either, we're either under the covenant of works, that is, we're still striving, even though we can't, we're fallen, Still striving to say, I'm going to work back. I'm going to gain the merit of God. I'm going to work so hard to do this. We're either under that covenant of works or we're under the covenant of grace that fills almost the entirety, really, of the Scriptures. Grace in Christ Jesus. Faith in what God has done for us. Not what we do, but what He has done. And may you have eyes today. May we have eyes to see once again how far we are from the righteous demands of the law. God did not give a law that could impart life. But he gave a law that, would, that led to life, life in the One who's come near, in Christ, who fulfills all of Scripture, who fulfills all the law. Today, the call. Perhaps you have never done this. Perhaps you have. And be encouraged that we once again, we, we unite, we come together to what? Confess, Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart. God's raised Him from the dead. And if so, Paul would say, our faith is not in vain. Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.
Let's pray. Father, your promises of salvation and justification are near. There's something that you transactionally, you count on towards our account, our account of dead works and our account of sin. And yet by the grace of Christ, bearing our sin, granting us his righteousness, we are justified by faith, declared righteous as we simply call on, look, confess, trust in the Lord Jesus. And yet, Lord, those promises are also, Lord, impending a future judgment. What will we say on that day? Will it be our merit that we look to, our works, what we've done? Or will we say, I have no idea why I ought to stand before you, Lord, but by Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And so, Lord Jesus, we give you glory. You're the author. You're the perfecter of our faith, even. It's gracious. It's given. It's not earned. And then... And then you call us to walk with you in a manner worthy of the calling. May we be those types of people. May this church, Lord, be known for Christ. May our personal lives, Father, even just our, our lives at home, our lives where nobody's looking, Lord, that our lives would proclaim, Christ is my Lord, not me. My righteousness, it's by faith, and I live for him. Thank you, Lord, for your grace in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.